Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone executive editor Nathan Brackett. Today we're going to get some life lessons, hard-won life lessons from David Crosby. But first, we're going to talk about some new music from the weekend. I'm here with Brittany Spanos. Hey. What's up, Brittany? Not much. How are you? I'm all right. <laughs> um, so wait. First off, the weekend cut his hair for people at home who don't know yeah. the weekend. Yeah, the kind of amazing dreadlocks. <laughs> and uh, that was, I mean, the, his entire career. That was big. Hair. That yeah. was probably a scary day for him. <laughs> <laughs> but what, maybe we should back up. Can you tell people uh, at home about yes. the weekend? So, I mean, 2015 was a huge year for the weekend. I mean, he was such a. Um, sort of underground R&B artist who sort of bubbled up and was, you know, working with Drake and a lot of other huge, huge hip-hop artists. And so he, like, released Beauty Behind the Madness in August of 2015. And that album, um, Can't Feel My Face, and The Hills, like, that really skyrocketed him. He had a bunch of number one singles. Biggest, like, pop breakout album of last year, Mm -hmm. probably, right? And an Oscar nomination, too, for his song Earned It from Fifty Shades of Grey. And now he just debuted his new song, Starboy, and started talking about his new album, Starboy, which is released in November. This is the first real song from him since a huge year and a huge album. And he's done this with two other men of mystery. Yeah. (laughs) Daft Punk. (laughs) Yes. That was a really surprising feature. I don't think he's worked with them before, but he, I was expecting one sound from it. I think that their sounds really meshed into a really cool, clubby, almost dark and ominous song that they've put together. I agree. Yeah. yeah no, you, you wouldn't <laughs> automatically assume that they would go together, but they totally do. Yeah. yeah. I was kind of expecting more of Can't Feel My Face. I, th- I thought he'd probably go a little bit disco-y, like especially with Daft Punk's most recent music. Um and then for them to go for this really vibey, um, very like late night lounge like R and B song, it's back to his like druggy roots of yeah. music. <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. It yeah. kind of reminded me of some of his earlier Toronto stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I think on the album itself, it's going to have features from Belly and Drake and Travis Scott. So it should be sort of back to a lot of the people that he's worked with before. But this is a really cool sign of his. Kind of going back to his some of his earlier sounds, but also progressing it to reflect a lot of his celebrities since the term Starboy is um, Jamaican patois for celebrity. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what happens with the weekend. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more. And I hope we'll be hearing more from Daft Punk, too. I, do, have you heard anything about what they're up to? I haven't, but I really hope this is a good sign that we're going to get something new from them really, really soon. They keep it pretty far under the hood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm suspecting you heard it here first, or maybe not first, but I, I'm suspecting that they're going to do a tour next, and it's going to be epic yeah, next year. Yeah, I hope so. That, that's my hunch. Yeah. Um, no new album, but a, a big, big tour involving lots of stage production. Definitely, because they had that great documentary come out recently about their, like, roots and everything. So I'm hoping that they'll go back on tour really soon. All right. (laughs) Well, Brittany, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I feel like letting my freak flag fly. Yes, I... And that was Almost Cut My Hair by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, sung by David Crosby. It's kind of David Crosby's manifesto for life, isn't it, Andy Green? Yes, and that guaranteed that he can never get a haircut again as long as he lives, though in prison he was forced to. Right. That was his one moment since the 60s where he's had short hair it was when he was in a Texas prison for a while. He wasn't thinking about that during the Woodstock era, though, when he wrote that song. No, no, no. he didn't plan on going to jail and having to get a haircut. 
So, Andy, you talked to David Crosby for our last word I section, did. and he shared with you some some hard-won life lessons, as I yeah. said earlier. He he really, you, you asked him, like, questions about life and... and yeah. I think of the four guys in CSNY, he's sort of the best talker. He's the most unfiltered. He's the most willing to just talk about any topic. So it was pretty great. We talked a lot about drugs and... Kanye and prison. And well, yeah, he got in trouble for kind of slagging off Kanye West recently on Twitter, which was actually yeah. he was he, that was a huge addition to Twitter recently when David Crosby went on for yeah, people in the classic rock you would community. Not think Crosby <laughs> would be great at Twitter because most people in the, their seventies aren't, but he just took to it like a natural duck to water or something. Yeah, he's great. He'll answer any question, he, no he matter just, how yeah. dumb it is. And somebody, they can be like, hey, Cross, will you listen to my new band? And respond lame. So, like, he will listen to anything and <laughs> comment on it. Yeah. <laughs> so even, like, some small unsigned band gets slogged off by David Crosby. It's he, very weird. You guys also ended up dancing a lot around the topic of Neil Young. We never said his name. The important thing to note is he is now not in a band for the first time since, like, 1963 or something. The Crosby's not in Yeah, band. he yeah. went right from The Birds to CSN to CSNY, and then CSN, that lasted until 2014 or 2015 even. But now he is, again, a solo artist. So he has beef with many people at once. He has beef with Neil. He has, he has beef with Nash. There was one stretch where it seemed like he was talking about Neil being surrounded by yes men, and you, he didn't really see it, say his name, but it seemed pretty yeah. clear. I'll just say it. Maybe you don't want to say it, but it seemed like I didn't we'll say his name, but I was talking about Neil Young. Yes, I was. <laughs> okay. And so was he. For the record. But he right. didn't say his name, because it was a previous interview where he basically broke up CSNY with a single, with a single answer to one question that about Neil Young no, Crosby oh, right. was asked about Daryl Hannah, who Neil's is Neil girlfriend. Young's current girlfriend, and he right. said cruel things about her, and that really, really pissed off Neil, which is understandable. And Neil said some publicly mean things about some public yeah. mean things well, about Crosby. He was Crosby. so angry in Howard Stern that he wouldn't say his name. He referred wow. the group as eh, Stills, Nash, and Young. Wow, <laughs> he wouldn't say his name. So that's what's happened to Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Just yeah. everybody is just like Voldemort now. Well, they could not be named. I feel and, bad, no, you know. Because what's, what's interesting is that Roger McGuinn would make much more money if he toured with Crosby and it was the Birds, but he won't do it. Nash and, would make a lot more money if he, if he toured with Crosby. Won't do it. <laughs> I feel like this could be a whole episode. But why, yeah, why don't we get to your interview, which is very entertaining. Thank uh, you. Just kind of as a preface, can you just say what, what, what the last word section is about? And like kind of a lot of these questions are about like success in life, like what, what the right. deal is. Yeah, this is the last page of the magazine. And the goal is to sort of get life lessons from people that have a lot of wisdom. It's sort of less about getting news and about their album and their tour than just what they've learned through the years. Right. Okay. Well, let's get to it. Tell me the best part of success and the worst part of success. Uh, the best part of success is access to the tools. You, when I want to go in the studio, I can go in the studio. When I need a guitar player, I can get a guitar player. When I want to go and work on something in Pro Tools or in Logic uh, and you know stack vocals, I got the tools. I can get a good engineer. I can get into a studio. I can, I can, that's probably the best part of success for me. Uh, although I love the audience reaction when I'm playing live. I absolutely love singing live. It's a joy. Uh, the worst part is complex. The worst part is, let's back away from it a little bit and start here. Our country is aimed at surface rather than substance. 
that is how our our country works right now in the world. You're you're looking at the outside of the thing rather than what's what's in it. Okay, so trying to deliver in this world, uh, in this musical world, is extremely difficult because mostly the stuff that's really successful is about as deep as a bird bath. It's incredibly shallow and incredibly concerned with how it looks and it's all polish on the surface. They don't start with a song in the first place. That makes it difficult. The stuff that wins, that makes all the money, is just pretty much useless. And the stuff that has value to it, you know, the people that I value, the Bob Dylans, the Joni Mitchells, the the people who are really, really good songwriters, uh, we're way behind the curve in terms of, of success, in terms of, you know, that's not that's a part of success that doesn't doesn't happen for us. So that's a bad thing about success, is that success comes for the wrong reasons. It comes because you're cute or you have nice kids. So tell me the worst part of success in your own life as far as how it affects you as an individual. Well, it wasn't good for me before. It's, it's good for me now. The amount of success that I have now, although it's much less, is much, much better for me because it's coming for the right reason. If you come to one of my shows, it's because you love the music. It's, it's not anything else. Uh, there's no dancing girls, no brass band. It's me and the songs. But success has been very dangerous to me. You take a young kid like I was in the purse and give them a million dollars, they're going to screw up. Uh, I mean, that's just, you know, what's that kid's name? When I've got it so called tattooed, kept getting in trouble. Uh, Justin Bieber? Yeah, exactly. That's what happens with success with young, ignorant kids. Uh, success eventually eats up man. Uh, you start out and you're all excited and it's really good and it's wonderful, but after a while it devolves into a thing where you just turn on the smoke machine and play your hits. That's a success thing. That's what makes you do that. It's because it's the path of least resistance to the money. Not my thing, man. It doesn't get it for me. And when nobody ever tells you no, that can be a problem, right? Yeah. If you exist in a world, and I could name a couple of my friends who are do exactly this, exist only in a world where pe- the only people who talk to them are people who work for them. So the only thing they hear is, oh, sweetie baby, everything you say is deathless prose. Uh, you know, what uh, well, doesn't help. I think that's an important part of it. It's good that you said that, because yeah. that's absolutely a big part of, of an artist's problem. You have to be able to have somebody say to you, yeah, you're on the right track, but you're not there yet, or no, that's not your best work. Too often, artists just, you know, everything is deathless prose and, and, oh, sweetie baby, you're fantastic. Right. And that doesn't help at all. And they think these people are, are their friends, but they're on the payroll. Yeah, and they're not their friends because they're just kissing their butt. Uh, there's a, a perfect example of that who is a person that we both know, and I'm not going to say whose name it is, but it, it really fits. <laughs> I think we're talking about the same person here, but I won't say his name. Three or four bad records in a row. Right, and the people around him never tell him that, and that's a major problem. You know, I think that's really a big part of it. He used to have somebody who would tell him that, but that person died. Yes, that was, yes, that person. And, oh, so you do know exactly who I'm yeah, talking about. And the moment that person died is the moment everything changed, but we don't need to get into all this. No, we don't need to do that, right? But we understand, you know, it, it's... 
You need to live in a vibrant environment, man. You need yeah. to live in a, a, a environment where you communicate outwardly. That person told me one time that he doesn't listen. Like my last record, I sent it to him, Cross. He said, well, I don't listen to other people's stuff. <laughs> what the fuck? What planet do you live on? I listen to other people's stuff all day long. A, a day isn't a complete day if I didn't get any Seely Dan in it. Tell me the advice you wish somebody gave you at the beginning of your career. Don't do any hard drugs. Simple. Don't fucking do it. Yeah. Don't do any cocaine. Don't do any speed. Don't do any junk. Don't do any hard drugs at all. None. Zero. Period. Ever. <laughs> yeah. But back then, the dangers weren't understood. They weren't understood at all. I had a person say to me, right to my face, oh, don't worry about this stuff, man. It's not addictive. <laughs> he was handing me cocaine, oh, the most wow. addictive substance on the planet. Yeah, no, we were ignorant and young, and there's other thing is, when you're young, you feel bulletproof. You think you're going to live forever, and, uh, and that nothing can touch you, which, of course, is not true. You know, we find that out later. Uh, but it's been quite a lesson. Do you, you mourn all the years you lost because of the hard drugs? Yes. Yeah, I, I mourn the time. You only get a certain amount of time here, man, and it's not enough. How many books do you think you have on your list that you want to read right now? How many, how many subjects would you love to go back to school and learn if you had the time? Tons and tons. How many, how many places would you like to visit? How many people would you like to talk to? You don't have enough time here. And to waste that time just being smashed? No, I, I regret the hell out of that. Mostly because of the time. I, 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 I do regret that, you know, the harm that I did my, myself physically, but mostly I, I, I regret wasting that time. That time is precious. Tell me the important rules you live by now. Well, let me think. Okay, you have to figure out what's really important to you. It's crucial. Can't do anything until you do that. Mm -hmm. So I have music, my family. Long ways after that, I care about the rest of the planet, and I care about the, trying to help humanity. So what do I try to do? How do I try to behave? I try to behave like a decent human being. I try to be... See, I have this kind of corny belief that just as war is a depressing force, just as it drags human race down and brings out the very worst in us, music is a lifting force. Music makes things better. So I, that's, that's the side I want to be on. Tell me the best advice you've ever received. Uh, <laughs> 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 what? I, got, I had like three things leap into my mind that you can't print. Okay, well, say one then. Uh, <clears throat> best advice. Uh, have compassion. And who told you that? That's that, that from the Dalai Lama. He's a sweet old man. Who are your heroes and why? Uh, my heroes are, are mostly singer-songwriters because they are people who are willing to deal with the ideas that I think are important. Uh, my heroes are people like, like old weird Bob. I think Bob Dylan is a hero. I think Joni Mitchell is a hero. I think... Uh, a lot of a lot of the, the great songwriters, you know, the the Beatles, uh, Paul Simon, uh, uh, Randy Newman, uh, 
you know, people who've written great songs are, are my heroes, right. for and, sure. And, and there are dozens of them. The people you picked had real longevity. They didn't just do it for a few years. It was decades and decades. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're solid hits. <laughs> they, got, they got in there and plugged in and really produced. Uh, more modern than that, I would say Mark Cohen, who you brought up. He's a very, very good writer oh, and yeah. consistently good. His last record was absolutely stellar. Uh, Sean Colvin, consistently oh, yeah. doing great work. These, these people are, are heroes to me. People who are great players, Ravi Shankar, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, you know, fantastic players. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Hendrix, uh, Stevie Ray, uh, you know, these guys just tell me how good they are. Uh, I... I, uh, most of my heroes are musicians. Some every once in a while, somebody does something really brave out in the real world, and and I try to notice that and make sure everybody else notices it when it happens. You know, uh, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, when he stood up to the American government and said, "No, you can't make me go kill a bunch of innocent farmers in Southeast Asia who did never do nothing to me." Right. And that was brave because it cost Ali so much. That worked against his interest, was bad for his career and his finances, but he still did it because it was the right thing to do. It was, he did the right thing. That's a bravery that I can totally admire. He was a hero of mine because of that. Because he did it and because he did it for the reasons that you said. And yeah. that, to me, that's bravery. That's, like, that's the real shit. So like, what didn't you understand about the music business when you first started out? Well, certain things. There's the music, which is one of mankind's main magics, okay? Mm -hmm. Ever since the first caveman danced around in a circle, going, uh, bug, uh, bug, you know, he was having a party. Yeah. Music business is something that was created by a bunch of guys who failed at selling shoes. <laughs> uh, it's, they, they wouldn't know a song if it bit them on the nose, most of them. Ahmed Erdogan, who used to run Atlantic Records, who was our mentor in Crosby, Stills, and Nash, uh, he did know music. He could go to a Ray Charles concert and cry. But almost none of the people who ran the music business, or and I think almost none of the people who run it now, uh, have any knowledge of music at all, and their reasons are all wrong, and their desires are all wrong, and their value system is all wrong. And I... Music business is, is funny now. Uh, we don't make any money off record. None, zero, period, none. Uh, the the way things are going is towards uh, the streaming services who don't pay us at all. They don't pay us, period. They just don't pay us. Uh -huh. They don't give a shit. And what do you wish you had known about that 50 years ago? Uh, you know, I didn't understand to hold on to my own publishing. Uh, somebody else got our publishing in the birds. We should have had our own companies, and, and we would have made a lot, a lot more money. But money's not really the main thing. It's it's that they take it and they sell it, and then it gets misused. And uh, but I fixed that. Uh, I don't know. Tell me the most indulgent purchase you made in your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a Tesla. When was that? Not long ago. And so why was that indulgent? I can't afford it. So then why'd you do it? Uh, because it's the best car there is. And I wanted it really badly for about three years. And I hadn't bought a new car in 20 years. And I figured that at my age, this is probably the last car I'm going to get. So 
I indulged myself and got it. And how's it drive? Oh, drive one. Just drive one. Yeah. I can't even tell you, man. It's the best car there is. Now, you spent 50 years of your life in various rock groups. So what that teach you about human psychology and about cooperation with other people? Well, I've always loved being in bands. I've always loved being in cooperative effort. Cooperative effort creates science and art and and all the advances of humanity are all cooperative effort. Competitive effort escalates from the NFL right up to war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so being advanced teaches you a lot. It teaches you to be uh, be aware uh, of what you're doing and, and how to get it uh, to happen. And uh, I don't think it's hard at all. Uh, I, I I like it, but I I also really love the, the problem in, in trying to play your music in a big band is that the words get lost too often. You know, when, when you get bass and drums and lead guitar and keyboard and everything, and everybody's trying to add in and do something, um, very often it gets to be too much, and the the sense of the song gets lost. Tell me how prison changed your life and changed you internally. Well, you know, prison's like a very uh, effective tool for getting your attention. Uh, And it got my attention. When I went in prison, I was a junkie uh, and a freebaser. And so I was as far down the drug totem pole as you can go. I was a complete mess. I was killing myself. My health was shot. And I was psychotic. I could not make sense out of anything. What happens is, it's no longer a matter of choice. You don't have a choice. You're there. And you can't get any drugs. So eventually you wake up from this long nightmare that you've gotten yourself into. And you remember who you are. And that's pretty exciting. And then... You think, oh, my God, how did I get here? And so you have to look at it, and you don't have a lot else to do. <laughs> and uh, and it, it, I don't regret going to prison uh, a bit, man. Being a junkie is a prison you carry around with you. Those first few days in prison, how did you avoid having your spirit broken? Uh, my spirit was already broken. Uh, I was a junkie, and that's, you know, you're at the bottom end of the pile then. Uh I I just did what they told me and kind of accepted the fact that I had screwed up so badly. I was in, in jail and I was now going to have to kick cocaine and heroin in a prison cell with no help at all. And that was a bitch. Uh, only thing is it worked. And so, you know, if you're talking about... I mean, the alternatives are A, you're dead, or B, you're in prison, or C, you're in a mental home, uh, and the fourth option is you quit. Every yeah. other option winds up with you dead. It's really a rare example of the prison system actually working. Yeah. I wrote a letter to the judge, and I said, look, I know that people keep showing back up in front of you. I know what the recidivism rate is. I understand how much the system fails, but I wanted you to know that this time it worked. This time it worked. I'm testing straight. I'm going to meetings. I'm getting married, and I'm happy. And I'm going back to work. And I wanted to thank you. Tell me your favorite city in the whole world. San Francisco. Oh, why? People. 
joy, a lot of memories, pretty, great food, fun. Always loved it. I love New York, too, I have to admit. I love, I love New York. I love London. I love Paris. Tell me your favorite book as a child. Robert Heinlein, probably Rocket Ship Galileo or Red Planet or The Rolling Stones, any of the Robert, any of the Robert Heinlein juvenile series. And so what's that say about you, do you think, that you were so drawn to that stuff? Uh, I'm a space nut. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I do love science fiction, always have. Tell me the music that, that still moves you the most. Mm. Why, there's so much. Right. Uh, it, it moves me to hear Alison Krauss sing. Huh. Why? Because she's an angel. She has the most wonderful voice in the world. It moves me to hear a Joni Mitchell song because I think Joni's probably the best of us all. Probably the best, best singer-songwriter that's ever lived so far. It moves me to hear Miles Davis playing sketches in Spain. I, I, it, it moves me to hear great players loving what they're doing. Oh. Uh, I'm just, I, I couldn't pick one. I mean, there's just a whole gigantic array of kinds of music that thrill me. Tell me about your fitness regime and how you stay in shape. Well, I used to go to the gym, but after a couple of heart attacks, they told me it probably should tone it down a little. Uh, <laughs> I try mostly not to eat, uh, you know, sweets and stuff like that because I'm diabetic. And I, I try to walk and swim just because I, I love how my life is right now and I want to keep it going. It's amazing is you've gone through so many things that would kill most people and you're still going strong. It's pretty amazing. Well, I'm trying to learn from most mistakes. Are you optimistic about the future of the country or does part of you worry that the American experiment is sort of failing? I worry about that, yeah. Uh, The fact that our democracy can be bought so easily and 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 owned by individuals who have that amount of money. The, the way the political process works now, that, that because of mass media, you can buy an election. You can spend enough money to actually just sort of bend the whole thing. That means that the people with all the money own Congress. And that has very bad repercussions. Every time you try to regulate them doing something bad for the environment, they say, oh, screw these regulations. We want free market. Uh, that's mainly because they just don't want to clean up their act. Uh, every time they decide that the quarterly report isn't looking good enough, they can call up Congress and say, hey, we need a little war. Give us a little bit of war. We want some war. Uh, we like it about next week. And people in Congress say, sure, okay, fine. Uh, we'll get right on it. We used to have a democracy. A democracy is a great idea. We have a corporatocracy now, and that's not a great idea. That's, that's an oligarchy. That's the rule of the many by the few. And it's not what they had in mind here. It's not what the Constitution is about. It's not what America is supposed to be about. And it is how it is. Uh, and that's very discouraging to me. But the system could get so bent that anybody could seriously think that an absolute idiot like Donald Trump could be a candidate for president of the United States? That's an aberration of monstrous proportions. Does he scare you worse than Nixon? Yeah. Why? <laughs> this is one of the really weirdest things I probably have ever said in my life. Nixon was smarter. 
Uh, and that's really not much. That's like saying uh, that Nixon was faster than a snail. Uh, but Trump is an idiot. He can't control his face. He can't control his mouth. He can't control his mind. He hasn't. He is completely out of touch with reality. He's an idiot and a scary one. You give him power, he will misuse it. Guaranteed. Are you afraid he'll win? Not very much. My my confidence is that he will fuck himself up. He just doesn't have the self control to to keep it all together. And so, what's to say about America that millions and millions of people think he'd be a good president and love him? They're ignorant, and the and the people in charge of this country are trying to dumb it down further because they want it to be more controllable and. The smarter people are, the better educated they are, the less controllable they are. So they, they're trying to dumb down schools and the, and the society, and uh, because the dumber the people are, the easier they are to manipulate. And that's a bad thing. Education is our savior. To just move on here, you really embrace Twitter. So what's that taught you about people and your fans and just everything? Well, I didn't think I would, but the truth is I love to communicate with people. I do. I really, I, people fascinate me. So I found out that if I didn't do what the really expert people, you know, uh, do on Twitter and didn't, you know, hashtag myself right into complete obscurity, I, I just talk to people the way I'm talking to you. And I answer questions. And uh, people have got questions. And, and to me, that's fascinating. I learn from their questions. When you ask me a question, I learn something about you. And to me, that's all fascinating shit. I, I, I have a lot of fun there. I mean, I do get in trouble there. You know, saying that Kanye West was a completely uh, a total poser who couldn't write, sing, or play. Do you regret saying that, or do you stand by it? No, it's absolutely true. The guy's a complete hoser. Do you ever listen to his music and check it out? I, I tried. I think it's abysmally bad. It's like... Horrible poetry shouted over really bad music that he stole from somebody else. Do you respect rap as an art form, though? Not really. There are occasional examples that that, that transcend. The guy who did uh, Hamilton transcends. He's a good poet. Kanye West couldn't make up a decent poem if his fucking life depended on it. I get in trouble there with other stuff, too. Calling Trump a walking intelligence-free zone was a good one. I think what's great is that you're so unfiltered on there. There are so many people on Twitter, they pick their words so carefully and it's so boring. They're just selling their albums. But you just speak your mind. You do you tell it like it is. Yeah. I have fun with it. I, I don't I don't understand why other people don't, but it seems like the natural thing to me. Yeah. Trying to learn how to work Facebook, but they have algorithms in there that, that decide stuff that I don't really fully grasp yet. Yeah. I'm working on it. I think what's so great about Twitter is that any random person can ask you anything and you'll see it in one second and you'll respond. I, I, think, I think it's terrific. I'm, I'm about to wrap up. I'm just curious about... Oh, don't stop, man. You're, you're, you're batting a thousand. You've got to be the best questions of anybody. Oh, thank you. So in just two years is the 50th anniversary of CSN. Is there any chance there'll be a tour? I seriously doubt it. Never say never, but, you know, that whole thing, man, and that's history. Good history. I'm proud of it and everything, but none of us are who we were then. And I'm kind of liking who I am right now. I, I don't hate those guys. I wish them no harm at all, uh, at all. Uh, we made absolutely great music together, uh, but I certainly am not looking for it. If you know, it could happen, but but I, I'm not. I'm not holding my breath. 
It's pretty amazing it lasted as long as it did. It's almost 50 years together. That's a lot more than most groups get. Yeah. And and delivered, you know, at, at certain points, really some pretty good music. Do you, you really see no chance that there'll be even just one more concert at some point? It's all done? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I mean, like I said, never say never. Uh, I, I'm not going to sit around holding my breath. I, I don't spend any time thinking about my past. I, I, I already looked at it. I had a lot of time to look at it. And I, my focus is completely forward. It's on this new song that I'm writing. It's on tomorrow. It's on what I can do next week. It's yeah. on, you know, what do I want to accomplish this year? I, I, my focus is completely on, on the future for me. I guess that you were in bands from 1964 until about two years ago, and that's given you time to make three albums. So I guess it's been good for you to be on your own. I, and I'm happy. I am not in the middle of any psychodrama at all. I'm a very happy guy. That works for me. Cool. Well, thanks so much, David. This was fun. Thank you, man. Take care. And that was Andy Green talking to David Crosby. Andy, well, thanks for sharing that with us. No problem. And that's it for Rolling Stone Music Now today. If you like what you heard, please leave a message on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. 